So I got a note from a listener who says, Dan, how can I get past sabotaging everything I try to do? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. So the question is, for this listener and perhaps for you, are circumstances holding you back? Is the economy holding you back? Are the politicians holding you back? Or is that person in the mirror holding you back? Hey, we're going to look at that. We'll break that down Try to help this young man in his situation and what he's doing. Got some other questions as well like this. When the pandemic started, all our businesses shut down. What should we do now? Dan, I'm wondering what you would call retirement. Hey, we'll have fun with that. How do I go about finding out about the market or need of specific leather items I can make? Somebody asked, why don't I hear more about a franchise opportunity being a good idea from folks like you? And then this one too, I hope we have time to get to this. I know that it would be virtually impossible to replace my current salary of over $200,000 if I followed my passion. Well, what do you think? Is it impossible to make $200,000 if you're following your passion? Well, we got lots of examples where that probably is disproven. Here's our quotation for today. It comes from Brian Tracy, you know, great trainer, motivational speaker, been around for a long time. He says, self-doubt does more to sabotage individual potential than all the external limitations put together. Well, I think that's true. Our resource for you today then is uh, you can get my 11-page workbook, Who Are You and Why Are You Here? Just go to 48days.com slash why, and we'll send you that resource that'll help you look at yourself, get past your own limitations. Got a couple of good news things for you here. Then I got a testimonial. Then I, I got a comment on the social dilemma, this documentary on Netflix. It's really popular right now. Just got a summary comment on that. I want you to be aware of that, what's going on, so you can make your own decisions. But that's how we're going to progress through this. And we go right to listener questions. Well, here's a good news item. Kroger gave a job to a homeless woman who slept in their parking lot. And the manager says, I wish we had 120 employees like her. Well, not that long ago, LaShenda Williams was living in her car, wondering where her next meal was coming from. Raised in the foster care system, Williams never had a stable home life. She says, I spent my life moving from foster care to foster care, dealing with abuse and things like that. In the end, nobody wanted me, and I stayed in the system until my senior year of high school. In addition to the abuse she suffered in foster care, she was hampered by a learning disability that made finding jobs more difficult. Even so, she never stopped trying, whether it was luck or fate that led to her parking lot in a East Nashville, Tennessee Kroger store. Her life was about to change for the better. By day, she became a store regular, striking up conversations and making friends, even when she couldn't afford to buy food. At night, she'd move to her car to a new location, hoping that the Kroger staff wouldn't realize she was living in the parking lot. But when associate store manager uh, Jackie Vandell heard LaShonda 
mentioned her goal of working at the store one day. She told her about an upcoming job fair. Well, you know where it's going to go from there. She was impressed by LaShonda's can-do, upbeat people skills. The manager made sure she made the cut from candidates to new hire, helping her with her application and even tweaking her resume. It only took Williams a month to get her first promotion from part-time cashier to full-time checkout associate. Soon after, she was able to afford a new place to live. As it turned out, the, it was the very first apartment she'd ever had with her name on the lease. Well, the manager says she's always trying to help someone, always trying to be a light in a world that may seem very dark. They posted it to uh, this, that she was moving into her apartment for the first time on Facebook and had over 200 people reach out with furniture, appliances, just about anything you'd need to furnish a home just started pouring in. Well, everybody's happy with the outcome here. LaShonda says, when I was hungry, they fed me. When I needed a pair of gloves, they gave them to me. These workers that I work with, they are my family. She told Good Morning America. And the manager says, yeah, I wish we had 120 of her. Well, here's so here's here's a short takeaway. In 48 Days to the Work You Love, I talk about the fact that 85% of a person's success is going to come from personal skills, personal traits. 15% are those real quantifiable skills and intelligence. But your EQ will take you farther than your IQ. Your emotional quotient, as is displayed by this young lady in the story, will take you farther than your IQ. Well, here's another quick story. An employee pays for a family's meal when mom forgets her wallet. Then she raised $32,000 for him. When a stressed-out mom rolled up to a McDonald's drive-thru to purchase a meal for her children, she realized with dismay on making her order that she'd left her purse at home. But the teenager serving at the window didn't send her away. Wyatt Jones said he'd happily pay for the meal. Brittany Reed was the lady, this was in Waynesville, Ohio, was more than grateful. It had already been a long day at soccer practice with her four- and seven-year-olds. Later that night... With her purse with her now, Brittany drove back to the McDonald's to give this young guy his money back, but he insisted the meal was on him, that she need not bother with that. So she wrote on a Facebook post, I just want his parents to know how kind and compassionate your son was tonight. He made this stressed out mama pause for a moment, realize that this is exactly what we as parents are trying to do, to raise great humans. She explained, Wyatt, do not let this world change your kind heart. Or it's for people like you that will change this world for the better. Well, she then heard that he was saving up to buy a car. And this is one of those where people want to be part of something like this. They want to be part of a cause, want to be part of helping make somebody else's life better. So she put that out. And as of October 1st, just a few days ago, she had raised $32,000. Well, uh, that's a cool story. You think you can get a car for 32000 My gosh, I've never in my life paid $32,000 for a car. He's going to have a nicer car than I've ever had. But just a great story about people helping people. Recognize those opportunities around you where you can do the same to reach out and help somebody. Now this, I want, I want to share this testimonial. We, we have so many things happening in the 48 Days Eagles community. Just stories of successes that are just exploding out of there. But here's one I just wanted to pass on. Alan Thomas is somebody you may have heard me talk about him before. I mean, he's been in the 40 days community for years and has gone from having his own clothing store to being involved in network marketing things. Anyway, he's 
but he realized one day he woke up and he looked at the scale and it was 304 pounds. So this was a couple years ago, and he determined that starting on January 1st, he was going to have that scale show 175 by Thanksgiving. So that's what, 129 pounds. And he did that. He did that. Well, he didn't intend to be a, a weight loss coach, or he just knew that for his own well-being, he needed to do that. But because it was so dramatic and other people saw that, he's had a lot of people, especially men, reaching out to him saying, man, can you help me? Well, this is a note he got from uh, somebody who's a commercial airline pilot who was also over 300. And he, so this is a note that he wrote to Alan and Alan shared it with me. He says, Alan Thomas saved my life. This is not being overdramatic. It's a fact. I'd hit a wall in my personal life, physically, mentally, and emotionally, largely because of my weight and my inability to control it. Alan gently, slowly, and methodically changed all that. At this stage of my life, and for most men, we're supposed to have it all together. Getting ready to retire when you have areas of your life that you are powerless over, it compromises every aspect of your being. Alan showed me how I do have the power over my body, my food intake, my health, my future. He said, I love this line. He showed me that like Dorothy and Oz, the power was in me all along. Wow, how much is that true for all of us and the things we want to do, the things we want to change in our lives? The power was in me all along. Well, he continues, since gaining control over my weight and health, I've been able to take that power and ability and apply it in every facet of my life, finances, family, relationships, in the workplace, and in my church. People more often see the change in my demeanor and my confidence more so than they say the 50 pounds that I've lost so far. Having control over my weight and my health has been truly transformative. God is still in charge. I'm merely the co-pilot, but having control over what I'm supposed to have control over makes all the difference. So if you're like me, find that the weight is the outward signs of the things in your life that are out of balance. Please consider partnering with Alan. You won't regret the total transformation. Well, what a great testimonial. Great testimonial. Incidentally, Alan's site is transformmyfuture.com. You can go there and check out what he's doing. And the interesting thing is, Alan never deals with diet or food. It's all about mindset. It's mindset that causes us to get out of control in areas of our life, whether that's financially, relationships, health, physical. I mean, those things all come back to mindset. Well, hey, I just wanted to share that. Thanks for that testimonial. Now, there's a popular documentary out there right now, The Social Dilemma. A lot of you have heard about it, I'm sure. You know, this, this film, here's a piece that just kind of describes it, explores the rise of social media, the damage it's caused to society, focusing on the exploitation of its users for financial gain through surveillance, capitalism, and data mining, how its design is meant to nurture an addiction, its use in politics, its effect on mental health, rising teen suicide rates, its role in conspiracy theories. Well, so that's kind of the overview, and it exposes that. Now, everybody's aware that there are some downsides to Facebook and Instagram and all the other things that we have access to out here, TikTok. Kids get addicted to that. They can't stand it without having the phone in their hand. But a lot of us as adults you know, see the trap of that. Wow, I mean, how much time are you spending on Facebook? just on your phone, or even just scrolling 
you know, through your email when you ought to be uh, interacting with your, your family at dinner. I mean, those kind of things. I mean, we see that. Well, there's a whole lot of issues that are unpacked. And I encourage you by all means to watch The Social Dilemma. It's available on Netflix, but watch it. It's about an hour and a half long. It's, it's a great conversation starter with you and a group of friends or you and your family. So I encourage you to, to watch it. But here's the point. I discussed this with a small group of people. We had a really open discussion about it. And here's kind of my summary on this, because I wanted to know what should we do personally? What do we do as leaders in our families? What should we do as leaders and influencers in our networks? But here are kind of the summary points of this conversation I had with some people who really do get it. We are not victims. We can use technology for good. Technology is like money. It brings out more of who you already are. I mean, like money, it can be used for good or or for evil. The online world just feeds back to you what you already like and believe. Now, that's one thing that's really kind of important. What you get on Facebook, what you get on social media is just feeding back and reinforcing what you already believe in, what you already enjoy. I mean, they know, they can track they can track your, if you're feeling discouraged, depressed, anxious, I mean, all those things. I mean, they can track that. It's, it is kind of spooky. I mean, Joanna and I were driving through the neighborhood and just admiring different kind of roofs in the new neighborhood that we moved to recently. And in just having that conversation, I mean, that's all we did. And then I immediately started having show up in my phone different kind of roofing companies promoted on that. Ooh, that's too spooky. Well, there is, there is that, but it feeds back to you things that you're already interested in. We know how that works, but here's what you have to do. Nobody is victimized. You can stay in the driver's seat, make decisions that embrace your values and priorities. That's the key. Set boundaries. You know, one area of discipline, just like losing weight, you can be disciplined in your use of social media as well. And there are ways that we can use social media in a positive way to be light and salt in the world. So we didn't have anybody who was saying, oh, just get rid of it totally. Now, I'm talking to people who have done that, and especially people who have, who I know and respect a lot, who have removed social media from their phone. So the phone is to be used as a phone. If they need to make a call, they can certainly do that. But they don't have all those other things coming in. So there's not the temptation that when you're at dinner with your family or people you care about that you have your nose in your phone. No, it's, there's nothing there. It's just a phone. So there are people who are using, using it for that, for sure. Well, the upgrade from technology, the recommendation is to have courageous conversations. I mean, it's interesting to look around sometimes in a restaurant and you see people with their, their everybody's got a phone in their hand rather than having conversations with a person that's three feet away from them, or maybe six feet with social distancing, but somebody who's right there, have conversations with them. There is an organization out there. The The founder is a friend of a, my son, Jared, but uh, Tristan Harris, who's the primary spokesperson in The Social Dilemma. But he started the Center for Humane Technology. If you go to humanetech.com, you can check that out. They got a lot of good recommendations for taking action, what you can do to make sure you do have boundaries in your social media use. There's a couple books that in our conversation came up repeatedly. One is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. 
How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World uh, by John Mark Comer. So I would recommend that, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And then Cal Newport's phenomenal book, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. Cal Newport, his um, one of his other books, Deep Work, had a profound impact on me and helping me shape my work week so that I reserve Thursdays and Fridays for deep work. No scheduled appointments, but just simply deep work. But those are a couple of books that can help you. So I hope that kind of helps you. I know it's, it's something we don't want to ignore. It's a real phenomenon out there. Uh, yes, there is a machinery working where they seem to use us as products, us being people, uh, rather than seeing us as as people, we are now products. We, they can sell our attention and make a lot of money. There's a lot of things that are certainly a negative trends, but like every time in history, there have been times before where there's things come along like this that seem to be threatening, kind of scary. Remember the old book, 1984, talking about the predictions of what the future was going to look like or future shock written years ago. Well, those things, a lot of those things did happen, but hey, we're still here. There's still ways to live productive, victorious lives, and you can do that as well. All right, let me jump into some questions. You got some great questions here. This comes from Chris, who titled his note to me, Self-Sabotage. He says, Dan, I hope you're having a great week. I have a question concerning self-sabotage. How can a person get past self-sabotaging everything they do? Chris says, I'm a vintage car artist who's trying to get my side business, Chris's auto art, off the ground. I've had this goal of setting up at local car shows to generate interest in my art. The plan was to paint on site and have some pieces for sale. I joined up with a local car club back in February of this year. The club members were very supportive and said I could set up at every show that they have during the year. Obviously, things weren't normal this year with the virus. That This may sound strange, but a part of me was relieved that I didn't have to set up a show when the whole season kind of went away. I'm introverted, so naturally I'm nervous about painting in front of strangers. When the club finally did have a show in July, I stayed home and hid out in my studio. I regretted doing that, and then I thought to myself, well, there'll be other shows you know, in October when the show season starts up again. And the club had a show last weekend, Chris says. And even though I wasn't able to to make it in the morning, I had an opportunity to set up for a couple of hours that afternoon, but did not. How does one get past this? Is this connected with an upper limit challenge that you've mentioned before? How can I get out of my own way so I can reach my own goals? Thanks, Chris. Well, Chris, man, thanks for your note. I, I know your art. You know that I comment frequently on your art. And incidentally, I'm going to go ahead and give your site here so other people can see it as well. It's Chris Callen, that's C-A-L-L-E-N, chriscallenautoart.com, chriscallenautoart.com. Chris, you do amazing, you know, being a car guy, I mean, your stuff just jumps out at me. I love, love, love your car drawings that you do, the art that you do. I think one of my all-time favorites was the 1968 Pontiac GTO. Your use of reflection in your painting, the sides of cars where it's reflecting, the scenery around it is unlike anything I've seen. It's absolutely astounding. Now, there are two things that I want to address in what you're dealing with here. This, what seems to be self-sabotaging, 
I, I went out and talked to Joanne, my wife, who is an artist. She deals with a lot of artists and got her perspective on this. She had some really insightful things that she wanted to offer. So there's two things I want to address. One is the upper limit challenge. You address that. But the other one is to embrace your personality. So I'm going to address the upper limit problem first, because I think there is some element of that here. I mean, we all have the upper limit challenge being, we all have kind of that inner thermostat that determines how much love, success, creativity we allow ourselves to enjoy. And if we exceed that thermostat setting, we'll do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into the old familiar zone where we feel secure. Now, this is talked about and I talk about it in the new version, the 20th anniversary edition of 40, 48 Days, but I got that concept from Gay Hendrick's book, The Big Leap, where he talks about that, how if somebody gets success too quickly, they'll sabotage it. You know, we give somebody who's used to poverty a $10 million bonus to f- play in the NFL, play football. Six months later, they often have spent the money and more, made decisions that absolutely ruin their career and they're back where they came from because the success came so quickly. Now, interestingly, in today's environment, a lot of people have the opportunity to experience something similar to that. If you're working a regular job and you get a three or 4% increase every year, you can handle that. That's slow enough. You can kind of handle that. But if you get into this information space, let's say that you write a book and it becomes really popular. Or you create a course, and you put it out there, and all of a sudden you generate more money in a weekend than you used to make it in two years. We see people sabotage that because the success came so quickly. So there can be that where you have kind of a ceiling of what you think you deserve. Well, you, you really aren't going to do a piece of art that somebody's going to pay you know, $5,000 for. Well, if you believe that, you're going to create that reality to be true. That's exactly what's going to happen. So be aware of that. Be aware of what you may have as an upper limit challenge. I grew up in a very poor household. So I've been fighting this for years where, wow, to have a really nice car or a nice house or have be able to go on vacation or whatever, just those kind of things. And it's not just about things, but just having the, the freedom to do things, knowing that I have the freedom to do things that some people cannot, you know, it's still a challenge. Wow. Am I really deserving of this? So you can walk through that just by being aware of it. But the other thing is, and as Joanne really pointed out immediately, is to embrace your personality. Now you've said in here, I'm introverted. So naturally I'm nervous about painting in front of strangers. Joanne's response is, why would you force yourself to do that? You can be introverted as an artist where you don't put yourself out there to paint in public. That's really, she said she wouldn't do that. Put herself out there to paint in front in public and have people request something. Now you can see somebody who does as an artist does like caricatures where they're just sitting there. It's kind of a party event and there people come up and they do a caricature because you know, they're real extroverted. They love that kind of interaction. I know people who do that, but a lot of artists are introverted You can stay behind the scenes and be very respected as an artist. Setting yourself up at a car show and painting live may be very intimidating, something you're never going to really be comfortable for. And it may not be the upper limit challenge as much as it is a violation of your personality. So how can you get around that? 
you could have 10 paintings of these vintage cars that you do so beautifully and set those up at a car show where you are not painting live. You could even have somebody else there to talk about the paintings, but you're probably comfortable doing that where you're there to talk about and talk about your passion for cars with people who are at a car show. And if they pick something out and want it, that's fine. But that's a lot different than doing something live on the spot. So I think that's a way that you can do that. I appreciate Joanne's input on that to embrace your personality. I have a piece right here in my office that I you know, value done by an artist who's very introverted. Oh, his name is Ron Baldwin. You can go to his site, ronaldbaldwinart.com. Check out his, his art, ronaldbaldwinart.com. Check out his art. It's stunning. It's beautiful. He has music, musical themes. He's not comfortable going out here and being in public. So when I worked with him as a client years ago, I suggested that he get an agent. Well, he did. The agent took his work to the out galleries. The agent took his work to shows. Now, the agent, it was interesting. I remember the conversation really well. The agent also took 50% of the revenue. And Ron was like, oh my gosh, I do all the work. And the agent just takes it out there and sells it and get 50%. I said, Ron, would you rather get 50% of $10,000, which is what a normal piece of his sells for, or 100% of nothing? because you're not out there selling it. Well, he got the point and very quickly became comfortable with that. And his art can now be seen in galleries in Chicago, Miami, Nashville, Los Angeles, a lot of other places. Well, anyway, I hope that's encouraging. Recognize the upper limit challenge, Chris, but also validate, honor your personality and do the things as an artist that you can do where you don't have to go out there and be a, the public face that would not embrace you knowing that you're an introvert. And then there are two books that I would recommend. One is The Big Leap that I already mentioned by Gay Hendricks. The other is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The War of Art. Great, great book that you can pick up and go through quickly. It's just a little book, but go through that and help yourself kind of push through what he calls the resistance to getting your art out there. Well, hey, love these questions. we got a whole lot more to go here. If you got a question or a success story you want to share, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Askdan at 48days.com. You can share your question. These are real-life questions coming in from people who are dealing with the reality. A lot of things have changed. This next question certainly addresses some of the change that we've gone through this year. This comes from Fiona, who says, Dan, I'm a regular listener of the podcast. Bought the latest 48 Days to the Work You Love. Your podcast truly inspires me. I want to thank you for sharing the idea of get into the game. When the pandemic started and all our businesses shut down, I took the idea and started selling our craft items online that helped us pay our bills and stay in the game. My full-time work is as a gift wholesaler. We sell to big box stores and gift shops. Here's my question to you. Most of our businesses, business partners have still not reopened. They don't have budget to purchase. What's your advice to do now? And we usually attend the gift shows and then we write the orders there. Now all the shows are canceled. Our buyers are not traveling. What's your advice? Thanks, Fiona. Well, 
I've got a whole lot of suggestions for you, Fiona, and you've already kind of touched into that when you said that when the your regular business shut down, you started selling craft items online. I think that's exactly where you need to go. We know that with stores closed, it's not that people are not buying. Online purchases have exploded. I mean, that's where people are shopping because they are not going into physical retail stores. I mean, this is going to change shopping habits forever. But you can as well go right to the end user. If you are on Etsy or Facebook or Instagram, you can promote the kind of things that you've got. And you can have people, you can have a really robust online business. I would just expand what you said you were doing online and go there rather than waiting for the stores to reopen. We don't know when that's going to happen. But there's a whole lot of examples of people who have just pivoted their business, not expecting what happened this year, but seeing realistically what some new options were. Just this last Monday, I had Jeremy Cowart, who's a celebrity photographer. I had him on as our Monday mentor in the Eagles community. Well, how does he make his money? He makes big money by being a celebrity photographer. Celebrities, I went, I went to his site and, golly, he's got shots on there. You know, Keith Urban, Carrie Underwood, Lauren Daigle, Chris Christopherson. It just goes on and on and on. The people that he's, you know, um, Mike Shelton, the people that he's photographed. Well, they come to his studio. Or he goes to them, sometimes travels with them. Well, all those things have stopped. Those things stopped. So here he is, a really well-known celebrity photographer, and all those things come to a stop. Is he just waiting from March till now October for things to open up? Not a chance. He just, he announced he was going to do virtual photography. Take a shot of yourself, send it to him he would do then photography where he enhances that and does a really professional photograph of that. He made it less expensive where, so it's not just people who are used to paying thousands of dollars for that, but where people could have an opportunity to have a Jeremy Coward photograph done. I mean, all the photographs you see of me on 48 days material have been done by Jeremy. I've worked with him for a long time. love him both as a friend and as a professional, but he pivoted in what he did. He offered these online virtual photography shots and he did 1,200 photo shoots in six weeks. Made more money than he would typically have made in that period of time. 1,200 photo shoots in six weeks. Kent Julian, I just talked to Kent yesterday. Kent is a speaker in the youth market. Well, what's happened to the youth market? Nobody's having school. Nobody's having those kind of events anymore. All his, he had 19 speaking engagements cancel. He changed what he was doing. He's offering the training that he would typically do in person as short courses. Because it's done as a short course, he can have 10 schools access it instead of one at a time. He has leveraged exactly what he was doing, but delivering it in a new way. And he told me that he's, he's going to make over $100,000 in these four months when he lost all of his speaking engagements. That's simply by changing, by pivoting, by seeing new opportunities. Fiona, you, you're right on top of, of your solution in what you've already suggested. I think you can do that. Take the unique things that you are used to sell into stores and just make them available to the general public. You can leverage it and rock and roll with this. Thanks for your question. Well, Henry says, 
I love this question. Henry says, Dan, wondering what you would call retirement. I work seven to nine days a month in my small business, netting low six figures. So he's making over $100,000 a year, working seven to nine days a month. I love this work, but wonder if I should retire from it. I'm 59 years old. I also have passive income from real estate and other investments. The rest of the time I I have to do other projects and business or relaxation. I'm thinking it would be great to do this for at least 10 more years. Am I living the 48 days of lifestyle, lifestyle and just not knowing it? Thanks, Henry. Golly, I love your question, Henry. Working seven to nine days a month, making $100,000 and wondering if you should retire. Well, no, no. Now, here's the deal. And of course, if you've been listening long, you know my feelings about retirement. I can't imagine uh, that concept creeping into my world at any given point. I can't imagine stopping stopping doing the things that I most enjoy doing. I mean, what's the alternative? Uh, If I get up every morning and can do what I enjoy doing, why would I want to change that? Why am I looking for a way to not do what I'm doing? Now, here's the deal. Here's my philosophy on being rich. That is having enough money to do whatever you want, but not enough money to do nothing. So I get up every morning and I do exactly what I want to do. I write. I think. I engage with people like this. I mean, I do this because this is what I want to do. There's nothing I can imagine that I would want to do more than this. Should I force myself, and like you're asking, Henry, should I force myself to go play golf instead or go play shuffleboard or go sit on the beach and do nothing? To me, that would be a force. I would have to coerce myself into going to do those things because I don't enjoy them nearly as much as writing, thinking, and engaging with people. So that's my definition of being rich. And and when you are rich, you retire, right? Well, you get to do what you really want to do. That's another definition of being rich or retirement. So it sounds like you are already, you're in retirement because you have the privilege, you have the luxury, the opportunity of getting up every morning and doing exactly what you want to do. Great question. I love framing it like that. All right, this comes from John. Colorado, thanks for much of your podcast. I really enjoy hearing the other questions people have, your responses to them. It's helped me tremendously. My question is this. I'm starting a business where I make handmade custom leather products. I make wallets, belts, purses, motorcycle seats, holsters, and much more. I know I need to zero in on something more specific and perfect that category of leather goods. How do I go about finding out about the market need of those items And if there is a market, say for something specific like motorcycle seats, my goal is to eventually make horse saddles and horse tack, but I don't know how to look up that market or where to begin. Thanks for taking the time to answer my question. Any advice is appreciated. Well, again, John, I appreciate your question. Yeah, and I think you're on the right track here. Don't be a generalist. Be a specialist. Don't just be one more person turning out wood. I mean, turning out leather products. I mean, the the lady who carved the beautiful, beautiful six foot eagle out of a cedar tree on my property, she could just be somebody who just carves wood. There's a whole lot of people who do. No, she is somebody who took that skill and perfected it in a very unique niche 
where she carves in wood these things that are standing pieces of art on people's property. So you don't want to be a generalist, be a specialist. A couple examples here I can point you to. Brian Griffin, Brian Griffin started Anthology Gear Wear. You can go to that. Again, I'm giving a lot of sites here today, but if you got a pen, you can jot it down, anthologygearwear.com. He combined his passion for music and design and formed Anthology Gear Wear. Now, he's a musician, but his business is creating guitar straps out of leather. They're beautiful, beautiful. They're pieces of art. So that's a very different market than just making belts, purses, and wallets. I would encourage you to find and follow your own passion in this. It's not just about trying to find a need. Follow your own passion in what it is you end up doing. If you're really passionate about motorcycles, go hang out at motorcycle events. Get to know the people. Ask them you know, what their needs are, what their desires are. Follow up on their interests. Do things, products for them. I think you could rock and roll, knock it out of the park in doing that. Um, another friend of mine, uh, Jeff Jones. Uh, Jeff, God, he, he's got a note on his website. He says, my mentor, Dan Miller, 48days.com was kind enough to go to lunch with me back in 2009. That two-hour lunch made a huge impact in my life and future. Dan reminded me to look in my own backyard, quit looking for something out of reach or something that was not a natural extension to my personality and lifestyle. This was such a no-brainer for me. I'm a natural salesman and teacher. I love business and merchandise. I put the two together. And his, his company, now Jeff was a musician at the time. He was on the road with Big Daddy Weave drummer with them, but he was looking for a way to spend more time with his family, not be gone so much. He started a business making custom drumsticks and you can see his business. You can go to custom sticks. That's S T I X custom sticks.com. And golly, the work that he's done is beautiful, but it's very, very niched, very, very specific. And John, I would, I would encourage you to do that with your leather work, find that niche that embraces what you know and care about. All right, a couple more here. Brian says, um, I bought my copy of 48 Days back in 2003. At the time, given my 40-hour week security-based upbringing, I didn't get it. Over the years, I have, to the point that my wife and I decided that the life we wanted for our family was not coming through someone else. So last year, we bought a service industry franchise through a very values-based parent company, but I've been scared that I've made the wrong decision ever since. Some is just my own fear of any endeavor like this, but some has been from a lack of hearing anything about franchise opportunity being a good idea from folks like you. Do you have any advice for people that aren't creatives that use something like franchises to get to the life they want? Thank you for what you do. You have an incredible servant's heart. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate that note a lot. I totally love franchisees. I mean, I, I, there's so many out there. If it's Subway or McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or if it's a you know, zero-res carpet cleaning. I mean, there, there's franchises for anything you can imagine. Now, here's the deal. Here's how these are positioned. And I'll tell you why you don't hear me talk about it a whole lot. When we look at the continuum of work models, we have on one side, let's say just on one side of the paper, we've got a traditional job. Eight to five, you go in there, you work 50 weeks a year, you have two weeks vacation, you have a 401k contribution, retirement plan of some kind, 
very traditional job. All right, we have that at one end of the spectrum. At the very other end, we have somebody who's very non-traditional, very non-structured. You know, we have a kid who puts up sports information, spends two hours a day doing that, makes his $100,000, you know, wearing his cut-off blue jeans and T-shirt. Very unstructured, very non-traditional. But we've got a whole lot of things in between there. I would put franchises about halfway in between there. So it's not a wide-open, unstructured idea. No, it's very structured. It's very clear. There's a prototype that has proven this model is successful. So you do it exactly this way. This is how much inventory you have. This is when you're open. This is how you hire good employees. So it's a very structured kind of opportunity. That is not what most entrepreneurs are going to go to. It's too controlled. It's too confined for an entrepreneur. However, it's a beautiful opportunity for somebody who is not that wide open, who's not that obsessed with being in control of everything they do, who somebody who wants a clear model for how to be successful. And then the, the mantra of franchises, and very accurately so, is you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. I mean, if you have a Chick-fil-A franchise, you get a whole lot of help from the good folks in Atlanta about how to run that. And they can guarantee your success because they're going to help you so much. But if you say, well, gee, instead of chicken, you know, today I'm going to start selling pork sandwiches. No, you can't do that. Even if you know that selling pork sandwiches or selling donuts would be a profitable addition. No, you can't do that because it's a franchise and it has some rules. So that's why you don't hear me talk about it a lot. But yeah, it's absolutely, it's a very legitimate business model and very, very appropriate and a very, very right decision for a whole lot of people. So if, if you're that person, then pat yourself on the back, be thrilled that you made the decision that you did and uh, be successful in the franchise model that you chose. All right, let me grab one more here. Eric says, I'm 35 years old, currently have a very profitable career in tech sales, which is what I've done for the past years. I feel blessed that this career is provided for my wife and me and our five children, but I'm ready for a change. While it has two of the three legs of the stool, the leg that is missing is passion. To be honest, what I would really love to be doing is working as worship leader again, which is what my first job was out of college. However, I know that it would be virtually impossible to replace my current salary of over $200,000 doing this. I've thought about coaching, I've begun writing articles, but can't imagine making the same kind of income with this. Simply put, what if my true passion doesn't make any money? Thanks. Wow. All right. Well, Eric, the first thing I want you to do is to rip the Band-Aid off in thinking that you can't make $200,000 following your passion. That's it. This is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. If you believe that you can't, then that's going to be true. The old Henry Ford thing, whether you think you can or think you can, either way, you're right. So you're 35 years old. And incidentally, the, the stool that Eric is referring to here, three legs of the stool that I talk about so much, those legs are passion, talent, and money. So he has talent and money, but no passion. Well, that does lead to burnout. No doubt about it. 
You need to integrate your passion if you're going to have a long-term success. But here's the thing. I love helping people, seeing people who pursue passions that are not reasonable or logical, you know, where everybody else says, there's no way, you know, you can't do that. Well, you know, no matter how irrational it seems, you can make money doing very, very unique things. Again, I mentioned the the gal who did the carving of the eagle on our property. She does extremely well because she's paid extremely well for what she does. Now, who in the world is going to tell you? I mean, you're not going to meet with your guidance counselor as a sophomore in college and they say, gee, you ought to grow up and be a wood carver. No, it's not going to happen. They're going to try to lead you to those traditional things. But here's my point on this is that I would rather help you grow dandelions, if that's your passion, then try to talk you into being a computer programmer because we know there are career opportunities there. No, follow your passion. I've seen it win out every time. I mean, Tom Faccio was a 28-year-old accountant. He was having dinner with some friends one night, and they were talking about the inefficiencies of the garbage collection in their neighborhood. And garbage collection at that point was, for the most part, you know, a dad and his son driving a pickup truck. That's how he said, we ought to be able to do this in a more efficient fashion. And the other guys at the table, well, why don't you do it? He was an accountant, but he decided, I'll bet there's a way to do this. Well, he started what then became BFI. I mean, one of the major, it's of course the major competitor of waste management, but it's major, major billions of dollars in revenue. And Tom became extremely wealthy, you know, owned sports franchises, restaurant chains, and all that because he systematized and found a better way to do garbage collection. Now, he enjoyed the challenge of doing that. If you enjoy worship, being a worship leader, figure out ways to do that. Now, you already mentioned a couple of things there. What if you coached other worship leaders? What if you created content? What if you created a course for how to be really effective? I mean, those things right there. What if, what if you had a, a membership community for worship leaders where they paid $48 a month? And I mean, you, you look at the worship leaders. I mean, there's thousands and thousands. I have no idea how many there are in the United States alone. What if you ended up with a thousand of those in your membership community where you were giving them tips encouraging ideas, things that they could do to really make their worship come alive. Well, if you did that, I mean, that'd be almost half a million dollars a year from that one idea. But there there are ways to do that. I mean, take people like, take people who really have a heart for ministry. I think that's part of your, your key here and your hesitation that this probably couldn't be done. Look at Dave Ramsey, what Dave Ramsey has done in the church community, primarily teaching people how to not make the stupid mistakes he made with money. I mean, he and I, of course, have been friends for a long time. We started in the same church. He taught on finances. I taught on careers. I mean, we've both done pretty well in helping people in ministry aspect. I mean, I have people every day who define what I do. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your ministry. We're so grateful for your ministry. Well, I have a very normal for-profit business, but people still refer to it as a ministry because it's helping people. That's what you're saying. That That's where this disconnect is. Your fear is that you can't truly help people in a way that you want to help and serve and still really thrive financially. I'm here to say, yes, you can. You can do that.
you absolutely can move into that arena if that's what you want to do. Wow, I love to go on. I consider it a great honor to get the questions that you send week after week here. Love going through these, just unpacking them. I trust that it benefits you and whatever you're doing. I mean, I benefit. I benefit from digging into the questions that you send. It helps me be better in what I do. I want to continue that process of growth and learning. I know that you do as well. Thanks for being here. Golly, share the podcast with others. Go in and rate and review. I don't mention that often, but certainly it helps other people find a 40 Days podcast. We just got some podcast stats in. Pretty exciting to see how highly we're ranked. Um, Always exciting to, to see that with a lot of other podcasts coming out there, but I've been doing this a long time. Continue to enjoy it. Thanks for being part of this group where we do know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You don't have to settle for less. Let me know what your successes are. Again, shoot those in, shoot your questions in. Ask Dan at 48 Days. We'll talk to you next week.